Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hello, welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Wow, it is a beautiful summer day where we are. We don't know where you are, but it is really a gorgeous day here at Bear Lake. You know, I was thinking, honey, we've never actually talked about this, but Ayers on the Road, the title was originally given to our podcast because we were always on the road. We were, where there was a time, about the time this podcast started, 13 years ago. I know. We were all, well, we were speaking 100 times a year. And so we were usually on the road somewhere. Remember, we did it from airports. We did it from an airplane once. The engineers were always like, there's too much background noise. <laughs> But what I was thinking today, it's interesting that Ayers on the Road is a little bit metaphorical because what we end up doing is telling where we are on our road, our, our life's road, our, 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 our path, where we are on our path. Right, exactly. <laughs> and where we are on our path right now is we've just uh, a brand new book that we got our hands on for the first time last week. A book of essays that I'm the editor of, and Linda is not really on the cover of this book, but <laughs> no, just, you have read it carefully. I co-authored really one of the helping. essays. Um, it is a collection of beautiful essays by some brilliant people who somehow we you just collected them like a magnet they just they just came to us and well they're the best writers we know frankly yeah. they really are incredible writers and we we picked most of them there were two or three that came in after the fact but the interesting thing is it's a book on a kind of a disturbing topic it's a book of essays that's called no division among you and it is about polarization. It's about division. It's about people who are not speaking to each other anymore. It's about, it's about how divided and sort of upsettingly uh, separate different parts of our country and in, in, in this case, parts of our own church, parts of Christianity are becoming, how politics and economics and other factors tend to polarize us and pull us apart. And we're not the first to say that this may be the most divisive time in the history of our country, maybe since the Civil War. Is that going too far? I don't know, but it is really, well, it's not war, but it is, there is a war of words going on, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, it is really a, a hard time, and we're headed into another political cycle, which is going to be, make it even worse. Yeah, when people, you know, people tend to be with those who they agree with, and there is fake news, and it is getting harder and harder, especially with chat, GBT, and other forces, and AI on all of its levels, it's getting harder and harder to even know what to believe and what not to, even to distinguish truth from error, which is a frightening thing. Yeah, you've been diving into a, a video and an article uh, on AI this week, which is 
is really scary. We went to dinner. I didn't have time to read it. We went to dinner and you read read a lot of it to me. And it is really terrifying. I mean, people are saying, if you think the internet is hard on your kids, just wait and see what happens with AI. I mean, it is a scary world. There's so much division, diversity, and well, the diversity is great. Diversity is a good thing, but, but the dissension and the division and the dismissal that goes with it can really be a problem. Yeah. I I just, um, I heard a guy that we really like, and I, I, I won't mention his name, but he is a really brilliant. He was giving a speech uh, not long ago, and he said, you know, I have a friend who said, I was addicted to cable news. He said, it is like getting off alcohol. I mean, really? Yeah. It's like I was addicted to this stuff that I was listening to, and and who knows how much of it was correct. And he said, finally, I'm dry. I'm dry. I'm dry. I've got I'm going to the BBC because it's just a little more um, objective. So um, anyway, it is it is a crazy world. Well, and we should give credit here. Here are the names of uh, some of you may recognize some of these people. They really are the best writers and the best thinkers we know. And what's really interesting about it, Linda, is we asked them, would you like to write a short essay on the subject of unity? And the problems we're having with it in our world, in our church, in our communities, and so on. And we didn't give them any more instruction than that. And they each took their own approach, their own perspective, their own paradigm of the unity problems we're having. And they they produced some remarkable, really remarkable essays. Before you read that, this is a diverse group. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, it's very diverse there. All very interesting. Let's just read their names in case you know some of them. Kathy Clayton. Mark Etsy. Thomas Griffith. Elizabeth Hammond. Ronell Hugh. Nylon McBain. Craig Peterson. Maureen Proctor. Ben Schlachty. Shalady, sorry. (laughs) Um, Melanie Tagg. Kimberly Tider. Adam Timothy. And Bill Turnbull. Wasn't it almost a temptation to tell about each one of those as we go through them because we yeah, know we them so well? Should. But they range, they range from PhDs to physicians to uh, a federal judge. Uh, they're just all across the well, board. They are unique. They're unique racially, right, they're unique right. economically, they're unique in terms of their political views. Well, well, we have a black woman, a black man, a gay man. And we realized, we just realized. One single person. We should have had more. We should have had more. To include more single people. But anyway, it really is quite astonishing. Let let us read you a couple things from the the preface and just get you the feeling that we're trying to create here. I mean, it starts out by saying, particularly, this is a Christian book on many levels, and even a denominational book to some degree in our church. But we start off by talking how if we all, if we're united in Christ, everything else should take care of itself. That one uniting factor should be bigger than anything that could divide us. We see division on every hand, politically, culturally, socially, doctrinally. 
We observe family members who don't speak to each other because of the different ideologies of their media sources or party affiliations. And we see people walking out on their wards because of the discomfort they feel in being more conservative or more liberal than the ward leadership, or because they don't agree with the mass policy or vaccination advice. So let me, let's read you a little story that really kind of jumps into this and will give you maybe a clear vision of why we wanted to do this book and why we found these essayists to do it with us. Um, we'll alternate reading just to keep it, but it's, it's, a, it's a story of a, of a friend of ours. A friend of ours who knew about this book while we were writing it agreed that unity is a growing problem in the country and in the church, but certainly didn't think of herself as being part of the issue. Then she had a troubling little experience. She became acquainted with a young family that had just moved into her ward and was very impressed with them. They were bright and friendly and anxious to be involved and to contribute. She looked forward to getting to know them better. When she dropped by their home a couple of weeks later to deliver a small gift, she saw a political sign in their front yard that surprised her. It was for a candidate she thought of as extreme, very dangerous, and it worried her to the point that she didn't stop or leave the gift. Shoot, just drove off past, shaking her head. It was this small incident that made her realize that she was part of the problem. She had let one little yard sign cause her to judge this couple and to change rather instantly and dramatically what had been her favorable opinion of them. Have any of you had experiences like that oh, where yeah. you just, you discovered some, it might've been someone you really liked and connected with on a lot of levels, but then you discovered some little thing about them, some candidate they supported, um, a news channel that they watch, uh, how they felt about being vaccinated. Um, just, any number of things. And suddenly you found your whole opinion of them changing based on that one little thing. Even though you might both be Christians, you might both believe in Christ, you might both parents, believe in so many beautiful things, yeah. you might so much in common. So disagreement is not the problem. It's the judgment, the categorizing, the stereotyping, the wall building that goes with it, that turns differences into destructive divisions and dissensions. Not agreeing with a person does not disrespect him, but dismissing that person certainly does. And that's what we do. We say, oh, 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 well, if you're, you're one of those, you're one of those oh my gosh. you know, we're not going to, we're not going to think about you. <laughs> so, so you get the feeling this is a serious book. I mean, it's a serious problem. Many feel like it's the most serious problem we face in the world today, let alone in our country or in our state or in our community or in our church. It really is. Um, we did a little essay. And, well, it's kind of a long essay, I think. You like long. I, I kind of like short. But <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. You say I'm longer than you. I just wrote a small part. Maybe it's but Yeah, I don't know. But anyway. Well, I think we want to read you some of our essay, partly because we believe so strongly in it, and partly because it gets down to the crux of the issue. Many of these essays are in disunity in politics or disunity in our country or disunity in our news sources. Or, it, I mean, like we said, each essayist picked his own way of talking about it, and some try to give solutions. 
and some are very metaphorical. I mean, there's one about a church choir and how you have you sing different parts, but it all blends and makes something beautiful and how boring it would be if ever, everyone was a soprano, you know? Exactly. And so there's some are metaphorical, some are sort of methodological. They're really good. I think in some ways ours is the weakest one. <laughs> I mean, trying to be humble, but but ours is about the most basic. <laughs> ours is about the most basic form of disunity where, when, it, when it happens within a family. And since that's what Ayers on the Road is really about, we want to share this with you. We may not get through it. We may continue it next week. We think it's that important. So let us begin and read you a, a little of this. We'll alternate so it doesn't sound boring. And then we'll take a little break, and then we'll come back and get to as much of it as we can. It may seem normal and even necessary to have discord, division, dissension, and even a bit of dismissal and disrespect in politics and government. This actually is called the five Ds. That, that's a lot of Ds. That's a lot of Let's Ds, and they're all bad. Dismissal, disrespect, um, discord, division, dissension. Those are all um, words that divide. But here's how we lead into it. Those words are actually part of politics and probably should be in government because that's essentially the way democracies function. And the goal is not really unity. The goal is progress through diversity and differences that are debated, compromised, build into coalitions, producing laws and policies for the common good. Or said another way, democratic government works best when we are united on the most important goals, but we may be divided on how to get there. But the church, Christianity, the gospel, as a theocracy, works in a very different way because instead of competing and picking between rival leaders and alternative ideologies and philosophies, we follow one divine leader and we adhere to his higher laws and doctrine. So what we're saying is the very things that can save a democracy, this discussion, dissension, division, compromise, coming together, those things are part of democracy. They're part of government in a democratic country, but they're the very things that can undermine or harm the church because Christ himself said, if you are not one, you are not mine. And then we try to go even further and say in the family, it is the most destructive of all. That's where we really need the unity. So let's take a little break, Linda, and then let's come back and get into the part about family divisions, family disrespect, family. And we've seen so much of it. People who've decided not to talk to each yes, other anymore. And they're, they're brothers story. and sisters. Yes, absolutely. So hang on. This is an important topic. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. And we're back talking about something really important to all of us. Even if we feel unity in our own family, there are so many other families that are so um, torn and uh, divisive. So carrying on a little bit here, both in both the church and the state, 
we're kind of working our way into the family, but we're, we're starting more broadly. And both the church and state, in order to survive and thrive and grow, we need all the unity we can discover. In government, we need a unity of purpose that can be difficult to find in democracies where the people are not united and where the loyal opposition is always a necessary component. Theoretically, though, unity in the gospel in the church should be much easier as we seek the mind and will of our heavenly parents, of our God, rather than the compromised will of man. But family is the deepest division. Um, those five Ds, dangerous but potentially productive in the state and dangerous and potentially destructive in the church, become disastrous and potentially spirit-destroying in families. In a community or a county, they can be stimulating. In a stake or a ward, they can be painful and undermining. But when they take root in a family, they hurt most deeply and can seem to endanger even the very plan of God. Now, we believe, and I think most of you listeners believe, that family is not only the basic unit of our society, our culture, our economy, but it is really the basic idea the basic entity, the basic uh, unit, unit, yeah, of 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 eternity, of heaven, of what most people perceive heaven to be. Families, the the gift of mortality that makes us potentially able to grow and become more like God Himself, little by tiny little. Now, even as you say that, though, we are talking to families that we know are are troubled. And we know how children have left. Uh, we all the there's church are left the in family. every family. We just saw a couple yesterday at a funeral who are just they're so they're uh almost ethereal. They're yeah, so yeah. beautiful, such a beautiful couple with these children. And her face was just absolutely ashen. I said, yeah. What's the matter? She said, Oh my goodness, our youngest daughter's husband just left her. Yeah. on a dime with four children in the most devastating way. And so we know that there's... And this woman, this saintly woman, was fighting herself against hating him. I mean, you could see it. Yes, she was trying yes. to forgive him and so on. But but here's here's the point. The point is not that we should have expectations of never disagreeing with family members or that we should beat ourselves up with discouragement when there is contention in our home. Rather, the point is understanding that all our hopes and efforts and strivings for unity should peak within our immediate and extended families because it is that family, not the church, that is potentially eternal and that can be direct mirror of our once and future heavenly home and that it is in the fact, the very government of God. Well, that's that's pretty wild. Well, <laughs> that's pretty. Well, um, that's pretty far out, isn't it? It is, but and as, especially in light of what we've just talked about, there's so many families so that are devastated right now these issues. with the division. But the question is, how can we mitigate them? How can we do our best to overcome these divisions within our family and? We're reading little passages, but we're really just talking with you today. And um, I think it's so interesting, Linda, that we sometimes joke about it a little. I mean, here's this part you'll like. 
Uh, yes, uh, this is so true. Lovely as the words are, we might find some darker, ironic humor in some of the lyrics of one of our most beloved hymns, Love at Home. And I think that's sung all over the world, this wonderful song, Love at Home. And the words are so, they're so beautiful, like, but in a way that almost makes you laugh. In the cottage there is joy, peace and plenty here abide, smiling sweet on every side. Time to softly, sweetly glide. All the earth's a garden sweet, making life a bliss complete. And then that Weird. song ends, when there's love at home, but we always sort of under our breath sing, when there's no one home. <laughs> Peace and plenty here abide, all the earth's a garden sweet, making like a bliss complete. When well, there's, there's no, no one, one home. <laughs> and, and we feel that sometimes. I mean, it really is, even though we did have an argument last night without the kids yeah. being around. But, yeah, but yeah we is, don't necessarily need the kids right, right. to argue. <laughs> but um, it really is so fascinating. So families with their close quarters, their different personalities, their interlaced responsibilities and obligations sometimes seem like the perfect breeding ground for those dastardly five Ds, division, dissension, and so on. Is there any simple solution for a problem as complex and varied as contention or discord in a family? Or is it a complicated, multifaceted monster that can only even be can only even be approached by a combination of prayer, therapy, spiritual counseling, and sometimes priesthood blessings. So I think we'd all agree that we should, anything we can think of is worthy of pursuit in the quest for something as eternally important as peace in our family, harmony in our family, unity in our families. But here's the thing, and this is, we're not going to get to all this. We're going to have to continue it next week. But here's the thing we're trying to say. There actually is one single thing, one really basic thing that is enormously effective and, and can impact us in our families in a way that's just almost unbelievable. But it's a thing you normally wouldn't think. You of. would never think of this yeah. word, and we actually were astonished when we when we thought of this because it really is the key to so many things, especially in the family and with relationship with each other. And it comes it comes from scripture, and we're going to present it to you in two ways. There there are many scriptures that talk about how important humility is in our relationships and getting along and overcoming differences. And even talks about how the most powerful kind of humility is not compelled humility. I mean, sometimes we're compelled because we get sick or because we lose our job or because someone points out a huge flaw in us and we're suddenly sort of humbled by it. This is not about being humbled by external circumstances. It's about summoning your own humility by realizing how small and unimportant you are and using that kind of humility to influence how you deal with other people, especially in your family. And the other thing that it's called is really even more powerful, and it's the title of this essay, Nothingness. Nothingness. is That sounds pretty low and... And humble, doesn't it? And <laughs> Nothing. Who, who, would, 
nothing. <laughs> who would think of that? And and who would who would want to read an essay about being nothing? <laughs> <laughs> and who would believe that nothingness is actually the key to everythingness, to becoming more whole in our relationships and so on? But Excuse me. I choked up because I really feel strongly about nothingness. Nothingness. <laughs> it really is quite an amazing word to think about. I mean, during an argument with someone, do you feel nothingness? No. You're full of angst and anger and so on. And if we can just learn how to feel nothingness, it is it's such a key. Well, there's a scripture that we really love that is unbelievable because it says if you can remember two things if you can remember the greatness of god and your own nothingness then and then after the then is a list of promises that will occur in your life and in your family if you really cling to this non-compelled humility this nothingness this awareness that you are tiny and insignificant and God is everything. Then these are the things that will come about. Let's read them really fast because think of, think of these promises. You will always rejoice. You will be filled with the love of God. You'll always retain a re remission of your sins. That's important. You'll grow in the knowledge of the glory of him that created you. You'll grow in the knowledge of that which is just and true. I love that one. You'll not have in mind to injure one another. And you'll live peaceably. You'll render to every man according to that which is his due. And you'll not suffer your children that they go hungry or naked. Oh, or wow. that they transgress the laws of God. <laughs> <laughs> or that they fight and quarrel with another. Or oh. that they serve the devil. Oh, oh, fight and quarrel with another. That is big. That That's big, a big promise. We read that when imagine, our kids were little. We've been thinking about this for all these yeah, years. Can you imagine doing something that if you do it, your children won't fight or argue? I mean, come on. Well, <laughs> we must not be perfect. It's a at that. pretty big thing. <laughs> it's this nothingness. If you have this nothingness, you'll you'll teach your children to walk in truth and soberness. And teach them to love one another. You'll teach them to serve one another. And succor those that stand in need of your succor. And you won't suffer the beggar who putteth up his petition to you in vain. I mean, these sound like sort of incomprehensible great promises. But when you think about it, they all flow from a humble person who really thinks of himself basically as nothing. And we have come, <laughs> we really have come to love that word nothingness. And we're not the only ones. Yeah, yeah that's, for, that's for sure. I'm just reading a book right now by a coach, a really big deal coach. And we love this guy, but he is, his whole, his whole outlook on life is the exact opposite. He spent all of his time building his <laughs> clients up. You can do anything. I can do anything. I am the universe. I can, I love, I mean, it's all based on love and I love it, you know, and it, there's, there's some truth in that. There really is. But Wow, that kind of leaves out the humility and the nothingness. And I don't know, he'd probably say, well, what can you accomplish if you think you're nothing? <laughs> but let, let us read you some backup quotes from people we really admire who've said it better than we can in terms of how powerful this non-compelled humility and nothingness can be. And as we read these, think about, think about them in a family context. Think about how 
really being humble and really being open about how little you can do and how much God can do, think about how that would impact your family as we give you some backup here. So the backup is the natural consequence, joy and blessings that flow naturally from humility, particularly the non-compelling kind, because that is the kind that takes the hardest thought and the most deliberate pursuit, have not only been recognized by prophets, but by sage thinkers from all walks of life. So I'm going to read you one from C.S. Lewis, and then Linda, if she can even contain herself, is going to read you one (laughs) that is her splendid favorite from (laughs) G.K. Chesterton, who was actually a mentor of C.S. Lewis. So I'll start with Lewis. Lewis said, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. (laughs) I love that one. But this this G.K. Chesterton, I love this. How much larger your life would be? Oops. (laughs) Turned an extra Start over on that one. That's so good. How much larger would your life be if you could become smaller in it? You would break out of this tiny theater in which your little plot is always being played, and you will find yourself under a freer sky in a street full of splendid strangers. Oh, I love that. I just love that. It is so awesome. I mean, if we go out in the street, no matter who's there, you know, like, oh, ooh, look at that. Instead, think of them as splendid strangers. They all have a story. They all have something to give you and in your nothingness. It really is a beautiful quote. So we're going to end with just three more little quotes about this non-compelled humility. And then we're just going to leave you thinking about it and us thinking about it for the next week and next issue of ours, next episode of ours on the road, we're going to dive deeper into how this attitude can impact our families. So just a couple more to end today with an anonymous writer said, one sees great things from the Valley, only small things from their peak. That's something to think about. And another, the smaller you are, the bigger the things he can do to you and with you. And then we're going to end with Chesterton again, who, you know, he not only talked about how different the world will look to us when we think of ourselves as small and God as large. But then in the same essay later on, Chesterton says, without humility, it is impossible to enjoy anything, even pride. (laughs) He is great. I want to see him in heaven. He's awesome. Well, thank you for joining us today. This is something to think about. We've been thinking about it. And actually, this is, uh, we started this a long time ago. So this has been a refresher for us as well. We hope that you think a little bit about nothingness this week. And if the book interests you, and believe me, there are some wonderful writers in here. We're we're among giants. It's easy oh for us goodness. to think of ourselves as small when we read these other essays. But they're so, so good. But it's called No Division Among You. And uh, you can find it at Deseret Book. Go to DeseretBook.com. 
and have a look at no, no division among you. It's really a delight because it's such a spark of inspiration with every essay. You think of things that you've never thought of before. So we hope that you'll you'll take a look at it. And tune in next week as we finish applying or really start delve into applying these principles within our family, which is where we need it most. So thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time on Ayers on the Road. Thank you.